0: It's the Kim Munson Show, analyzing the most important stories. That
1: seems to me like government is establishing a religion.
0: The latest in politics and world affairs.
1: If you give people rights, women's rights, gay rights, whatever, there can't be equal rights if there's special rights.
0: Today's current opinions and ideas.
1: Surveys show that that people still really prefer freedom versus force.
0: Is it freedom or is it force? Let's have a conversation.
1: Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website, Kim Munson, spelled monso and sign up for our weekly newsletters to keep you apprised of uh, upcoming guests, our op-eds. This op-ed that I did on the uh, the homelessness industrial complex has uh, really been getting a lot of esteem, uh, so be sure and check that out. Um, Steve, It's uh, I didn't realize it, but it really hit a nerve.
2: Well, it should be picking up steam because you really, (laughs) you went to the most fundamental aspects of this and it's, um, I don't know, it's just such a revelation to think that this is going down right before our very eyes in terms of the dollars being poured into it and what we're getting out of it. Oh, and not to mention the the salaries involved.
1: I know. It's pretty eye-opening. So be sure and check out my website. That's KimMunson.com and check out the Homelessness Industrial Complex. Uh, Very important show planned for you today. Today is uh, really a historic day. It will be the State of the Union addressed by President Trump this evening. And then tomorrow it looks like there will be the vote on whether or not to impeach him. And uh, last night was the Iowa caucuses. And it looks like that's pretty much a disaster, Steve.
2: It is. I went, uh, <laughs> I hit the road this morning and uh, Michael Pelka had already kind of broke the news of this farce that's going down in Iowa. Uh, basically, for the Iowa Democratic Party has really messed up. There's no other way to say it. They can't seem to tabulate the results from yesterday. And... Uh, they're not sure how soon they're going to get them. Well, and yet all the all the major players were, you know, doing their little victory lap, uh, suggesting that they were the, you know, they were coming out on top, and now it's on to New Hampshire. Well,
1: I'm seeing the headline right now. It says Iowa caucus results are delayed over inconsistencies. Bear in mind, Steve, that this is the party. Uh, you know, the, the Democrat party of today is not the Democrat party of JFK. Uh, This party wants more and more control of your life. They want more and more uh, of your money. And, uh, you know, they are continuing to work towards socialization, and that means control uh, over these main things that, you know, if they're freed up, they make our lives better. And that's like uh, transportation, education, housing, energy, water, broadband, communications, health care, across the board. These are the people that want to control all this, but they can't even get a caucus right.
2: Well, stay tuned. It has been suggested that this might be a purpose, purposely, (laughs) internally caused glitch to maybe take this, whatever. Maybe somebody
1: was leading that they didn't want to have be leading. Could that be the case? Well, that,
2: but also uh, we're not so sure that the DNC is really thrilled that the state and the heartland is leading the way and, you know, in the process that maybe we can get Iowa out of the picture.
1: Well, I guess so. So we'll find out. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, And then again tonight will be the State of the Union address. This is going to be historic. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is going to be sitting right behind uh, Donald Trump. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm sure everybody's going to be watching her facial expressions all evening long.
2: Trying to keep her dentures (laughs) under control. Well, wait a minute. Was it how many years ago? Well, let's see. Let's let's count it up. It would. Was it last year? 2017, I guess. She was not the speaker yet, and she was actually sitting out in the gallery, if that's the right term, and she, I mean, the cameras just couldn't stay away from her, and she sat there the entire hour just fuming and burning, and I guess just couldn't wait for the day that she could sit up in that seat behind him again, which she did last year, mm-hmm. and she led the the ladies of the body in wearing uh, white Oh, that's right. I forgot about suits that. And, and she was an obnoxious twit. Yeah. So who, oh, Did let's, you just say that? I <laughs> did. And uh, let's see what she can come up with this time. Although, you know, you can get vindicated when you do what we do, because you have a thought. Two weeks ago, I had this thought. It's like, oh, my gosh, all that's going down here in the month of January or now now February with this impeachment process, what will a State of the Union address actually look like? And you think, well, you just suggested it, envision it. There stands the president, over his left shoulder is Queen Nancy, and who knows what kind of shenanigan they're going to pull in the wardrobe department this year in terms of the white pantsuits and whatnot. So, uh, and then, you know, the prez. he's going to be smirking at him, he's going to be kind of... Just giving him that, that smile. and,
1: You know, I, I think that actually that's probably going to be very positive because, you know, he continues to be a master at communications. And uh, here you know that people are going to be tuning in to see what happens. And I think he's probably going to deliver a very presidential speech. Yes, that He's has... going to talk about the, the successes he's had. And I hope that people listen that they can take the filter off of of all of this this hatefulness towards this man and listen to what the results have been for everyday hardworking people. There is so much more work to be done, though, Steve. I was talking to a young person the other day, and and actually Dr. Jill Vecchio had said Obamacare has done exactly what it was supposed to do, and it basically has made it almost unaffordable for for that middle class, you know, that, that blue-collar, that tech T-shirt middle class, because um, the premiums have gone up significantly, and then the deductibles are so high that, in essence, it is just totally squeezing these people that are out there that are trying to to get ahead. And then the whole school loan thing ha- has, um, has uh, really done exactly what Obama wanted to do as well. He basically took over the student loan program and put it into uh, the federal government's hands. And so immediately, you know, it, it skyrocketed as far as the amount of debt that was incurred. I mean, I've heard stories that kids were able to sit in their PJs in, the, in their parents' basement and get $35,000 in, in school loans, not really realizing that they were going to have to pay that back. And, of course, now you've got all of these Democrat candidates that are talking about free this, free that, free this. But what happened with this is is that it has now, you know, become such a big number to so many of these kids. They're like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to pay this off? And there's a bit of hopelessness in that. So the student loan program and Obamacare has done exactly what they wanted it to do to make these things so unaffordable, to wrap this debt around these kids' necks and kind of mire them in hopelessness. And uh, when we have Dr. Brian Dimitrovic on, you know, he wrote the book with Larry Kudlow on JFK and the Reagan Revolution, lowering taxes, lowering regulations, getting the economy going. If we can get this economy really booming, these kids are going to be able to get jobs. Uh, we'll start to see them have the hope of paying that off. We've got to do something about health care, though. This is not okay. It is, it is just really taking away a lot of hope of people that are trying to, you know, to get ahead and, and trying to push them over to government dependency. And that is what I think both of those things have tried to do. And uh, so it's going to be a very interesting evening uh,
2: tonight, Steve. Well, uh, I guess I'm maybe being a little bit too uh, transparent here with the way my mind works. It's
1: your birthday. You can do whatever uh, you want today. Happy, happy birthday. You
2: didn't have to bring that up. I, <laughs> hey, four years ago, I stopped having birthdays. Didn't you get the...
1: I didn't get the memo.
2: Jeez. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm being a little bit too transparent here in the snarky department. Uh, it has been suggested that yes, the president will uh, give a, a great speech tonight. He probably will not mention any of the events of the last two months, only because he wants to focus on what's been accomplished so far and where you know what's coming next. So,
1: yeah. So as I'm, um, you know, can will you check and see what time that is? I can't remember what time it is. Yeah. Okay. And while we're doing that, as we look at these issues. It's freedom versus force, force versus freedom. And uh, if something is a good idea, you should not have to use force. And, um, and so that's why we look at that with this particular looking glass. Before we get into the rest of the show, though, just thinking about inspiration, we need some inspiration. And Calvin Coolidge, you know, he was an American politician and lawyer who served as the 30th president of the United States from 1923 to 1929. And actually, I think under Coolidge, uh, federal spending went down, and I think they actually started to get the, uh, the debt down as well. He was a Republican lawyer from New England, born in Vermont. Coolidge worked his way up the ladder of Massachusetts state politics, eventually becoming governor of Massachusetts. His response to the Boston police strike of 1919 thrust him into the national spotlight and gave him a reputation as a man of decisive action. The next year, he was elected vice president of the United States, and he succeeded to the presidency upon the sudden death of Warren G. Harding in 1923. Elected in his own right in 1924, he gained a reputation as a small government conservative and also as a man who said very little and had a rather dry sense of humor. He was born in 1872, died in 1933 at the age of 60. And this is such an amazing quote. He said, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. And that's Calvin Coolidge. So, Steve, it's your birthday, so I've got a good (laughs) funny for you. Are you ready?
2: Will you let this lie, please?
1: (laughs) Here we go. A Florida senior... Are you a senior citizen? You don't don't have to answer that. It's your birthday, but do you want to answer that?
2: (laughs) Continue, please. Okay.
1: A Florida senior citizen drove his brand-new Corvette convertible out of the dealership. Taking off down the road, he pushed it to 80 miles per hour, enjoying the wind blowing through what little hair he had left... Amazing, he thought, as he flew down I-95, pushing the pedal even more. Looking in his rearview mirror, he saw a Florida state trooper, blue lights flashing and siren blaring. He floored it to 100 miles per hour, then 110, then 120. <laughs> Suddenly he thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm too old for this. So he pulled over to await the trooper's arrival. Pulling it behind him, the trooper got out of his vehicle and walked up to the Corvette. He looked at his watch and then he said, sir, my shift ends in 30 minutes. Today's Friday. If you can give me a new reason for speeding, a reason I've never heard before, I'll let you go. The old gentleman paused and then said, three years ago, my wife ran off with a Florida state trooper and I thought you were bringing her back.
2: Good one. Yes, you like that one.
3: Yeah. Okay,
1: okay. You know what? We're, let's go to break uh, just a tinge early here. Um, before we do that, though, Hooters restaurants is the place uh, to watch all the games. We're now into Avalanche Nugget season, and of course they've got all the TVs, so that you won't miss any of the action. Uh, Wednesday is uh, all day. If you dine in, all day Wing Day for fifteen ninety nine. And uh, my husband stopped by and picked up a variety of wings. Uh, for the Super Bowl. And they were delicious. And the coleslaw was delicious as well. So a couple of things. You can drop by and you can eat at the restaurant. You can have uh, Hooters wings uh, delivered right to your front door. You can stop by and pick them up on the way home. For more information, go to my website. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Look at the sponsors and be sure and uh, patronize all of these. I can highly recommend all of those sponsors that you see there. And they are the reason that we are on the air. So we're going to go to break. We'll be right back.
3: You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For more than 30 years, entrepreneur and stylist Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game, freshen your look, email kim at kimmunson.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Kim Munson M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. Hey,
1: welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I'm Kim Munson. Be sure and check out our website. That's Kim Munson M-O-N-S-O-N dot com. And uh, mm-hmm. sign up for our newsletter so we can keep you apprised of everything that is happening out there. Just a quick note, because of the snow, we were planning on having a great Festival for your birthday. I thought that we were we were gonna have Jen Hewlin with Water's Edge Winery, and Patty Kurgan, our entrepreneur and our researcher, and Susan Kochevar the owner of the 88 Drive in Theater. So you've been hearing those uh, promos throughout yesterday and this morning. Because of the snow, we decided to reschedule that. The girls are gonna come in on Valentine's Day, provided the weather's okay. We thought there's no reason to have them, you know, out on the road and Rob Nadelson had reached out to me to say that he had a a really interesting piece that was in the Epic Times uh, regarding, uh, he says, Dershowitz was correct, impeachment does require criminal-type conduct. And so it's very timely to have Rob on. He's going to be on in the third and fourth segment uh, to just break this down because, of course, the vote for impeachment is tomorrow. So that's why we had a little change in things, Steve.
2: Oh, and by the way, uh, State of the Union speech, Uh, commences at 9 Eastern, 7 Mountain.
1: Okay, 7 p.m. tonight. So get your popcorn and and, uh, sit down and you can watch what's going on. Speaking of uh, watch what's going on, Patty has pulled uh, the bill of the day is Senate Bill 2151, Administration of the RTD Regional Transportation District. Um, And what they're going to do, and Joshua Scharf has a really uh, good piece in The Complete Colorado about this, but basically... The state legislature, I think, is working to try to take over RTD. And you've got to you've got to imagine this because RTD, you know, is its own taxing authority. And so the state legislature would love to get a hold of that because there is money involved. So what Senate Bill 151, this is the lowlights of it, is one, it provides factors for the RTD district to consider in making decisions about services, route planning, and rates. It prohibits the district from discriminating against people with disabilities in the provision of transportation services and prohibits discrimination against an individual on the basis of race, color, ethnicity, national origin, and the provision of transportation services. A person who is subject of a violation of the prohibition can bring a civil suit in state district court. So just think about what that's going to be, Steve. Is people can bring uh, this suit, and once again, uh, you're going to have taxpayer dollars involved in uh, in the court. I mean, this is this is really not a good idea. It authorizes the Transportation Legislation Review Committee <laughs> to review the district's compliance with the act, requires the district to comply with requests for information, and requires the committee to hear public testimony concerning the district's compliance with the prohibitions on discrimination. So you see this whole discrimination thing here and compliance is another one of those code words for force. It adds two additional voting board members to be appointed by the governor for three-year terms, one to represent constituents with disabilities and one with experience in equitable transportation planning. It adds the state treasurer and the executive director of the Department of the Transportation as non-voting ex officio members of the board. It establishes contribution limits in the Fair Campaign Practices Act for candidates for the board of the district. You know what? That takes away. That is a direct assault on free speech, uh, because what we see is is these these rules are put in, these laws are put in, and then uh, and then one side cheats the other side. If they make a mistake, they bring them out, you know, and uh, accuse them of campaign violations. People should be able to donate to campaigns without these kinds of laws. Okay? I just want to make a statement on that. It requires the board to meet monthly instead of quarterly and to live broadcast its meetings where whenever practicable, practicable. It requires members to be physically present to vote except in the case of a documented medical condition, it allows the board to adopt procedures related to the removal of an elected or appointed member, it requires the board to adopt procedures to reduce the compensation of a member who is absent from the member's official duties. It allows the district to provide commercial and retail services at its facilities. I wonder what that means exactly, Steve. Does that mean that RTD is now going to compete with, uh, with the private enterprise? Just think about that. You've got a taxing authority that then could uh, provide commercial and retail facilities or services at its facilities. I mean, what could that be? Next, it requires the state auditor to conduct audits of the district's pension plans. And then funding pension liability, the district's organization structure and compensation, and the cost efficiency and effectiveness of the district's competitive vehicular service policies. Can you believe the state legislature wants to get into all this? No. Okay, get this one. Provides whistleblower protections to employees of the district and of entities contracting with the district. Includes the district within the scope of the state auditor's fraud hotline. Makes the district's directors and certain employees subject to ethics requirements of the state constitution and clarifies that the district is subject to existing codes of conduct for public employees and amends other provisions related to the administration of the district.
2: Wait a minute. Ask that question again. Can I believe the... How did you pose that? The state
1: legislature.
2: Wants to get into this? Yeah. I blurted out no, but yet the more I sit here and kind of sift through it, maybe yes.
1: Maybe yes, because look at all the control. It puts in place uh, situations where uh, RTD can be uh, sued take a look at this what it talks about regarding requirement of the board members i don't think that the board members are actually compensated when and and the hours and hours that they have to spend to be at those meetings i mean it's very difficult to you either have to be retired or independently wealthy or you know make, you know really juggling things to make to make that work and so this is really going to make, um, you know, have more and more control over the RTD board by the state legislature, you know, which is now controlled by a bunch of radical activists down at the state house. But they are, they're, you know, they're, you know, uh, you're wringing their hands. They're looking at all the money that, that that's really it's going to be about money and power is what this all is all about, Steve.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, because it, when stories like this one kind of protract, after a while, I kind of evolve. Uh, you know, uh, uh, what, what's behind this? Did this all start with the state basically kind of looking at RTD and saying, You guys are screwing up left and right, and if you don't get your act together, we're going to have to help you?
1: Yeah, there was actually a uh, Patty had pulled it, a news article. This was what the maybe. 4 weeks ago. So you could see that was the first kind of shot across the bow yeah. that we knew that this thing was coming down. It was it was a foreshadowing that we were going to see this.
2: Well, as you're going down, I mean uh, the way Patty has this laid out, there was like a dozen bullet items there and as you read through them all, not all, but almost well, many of them it's a direct increased cost.
1: Almost oh, definitely. And adding
2: uh, more staff, doing uh, all the things that they it's oh
1: well, and, and it's in adding two more board members, it's kind of like FDR when he threatened to uh, stat, uh, uh, pack what, what was it, uh, the, the Supreme Court. So, by the governor now being able to appoint two more members, it starts, starts to dilute your vote because we vote for RTD board members. So, it dilutes uh, their vote. And um, uh, let's just very quickly get to Joshua Scharf, uh, his piece in Complete Colorado. He says, RTD reform bill leaves taxpayers waiting at the station. And these are the three biggest provisions that, you know, as we went through that, but he's able to really drill down on this. He says, it will ditch the requirement that 30% of operating costs come from fares. Okay. Number two, it adds these two new appointed members, one representing the disabled community and the other representing disadvantaged communities. And then three it grants disabled and disadvantaged groups who felt they were underserved the ability to serve or to sue RTD. Uh, you think that RTD is not doing well now? Just wait till we 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 have the state legislature doing this oversight on it.
2: Well, he fleshes that out a little bit. Like, uh, <laughs> quite frankly, the first requirement, the one about the thirty uh, percent of operating costs come from fares, is that that's a disaster in the making. Because if, th- if you think that they're, you know, they're struggling now to meet their operating budget, and, and now you're going to take away that requirement, so where does that mean the rest of their operating costs come from? Well, we, like, know, we know the answer to that.
1: So could you see possibly, with the state taking this over, that um, instead of increasing taxes, that there's going to be some kind of increase in fees? But, you know, we've seen the carrot off and this is the way socialism works is you've got carrots you've you've got incentives you've got tax breaks you've got uh, backfills with subsidizing things and uh, and and then ultimately when that carrot doesn't work because we're seeing when I drove over here it's 10 degrees out who wants to be standing out at a bus stop or on a, a train station waiting for a train I saw empty trains I saw empty buses. But the carbon footprint, the, the footprint that those empty buses and those empty trains have every day, I mean, who, who why isn't environmentalists all over that? So the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to see force. And we've already seen the subtle force to try to get people out of their their internal combustion engines. But we're going to see, I think, more and more force. And uh, you take away the you know freedom to drive, the freedom for people to be able to move where they want to, when they want to. And you get all to that uh, power and control, Steve.
2: I think one of the Super Bowl commercials was uh, from Porsche, and uh, obviously pushing their all-electric vehicle. And I thought, how many millions of people are watching this? And it still does not go back to the fundamental. It's like, what are you charging those vehicles? How are you charging those vehicles? Uh, you know, by what energy source? So.
1: Right, and we've not talked about uh, the environmental uh, concern regarding disposal of those batteries once they're gone. We've, and then uh, China basically is, is um, really working to gain more and more control in Africa. And that's where many of the rare earth minerals come from for uh, electric car batteries. And so we're using policy to shut down our energy source that we have here of affordable, efficient, and reliable energy sources to push us into something where we'd be dependent on China. We have to ask why these people are doing this. But I kind of have myself all worked up. I think I want to talk to Jason McBride about these tax retirement workshops that's coming up this week because he's helping people. Hi, Jason McBride.
4: Hey, good morning.
1: <laughs> it's Steve's birthday.
4: I know. You told me. I told him happy birthday. Okay. Well, um, <laughs>
2: good. And he's coming for cake, too.
1: Oh, okay. Did you tell? I guess, Steve, we didn't tell. I had a nice little surprise for you this morning.
2: You did. And it's right outside the studio door. And every time I walk past it, there's no doubt what's what's in the bag.
1: Jason, I got up early and I made uh, Steve my very special sour cream coffee cake. So come oh, by and have so. some, Okay.
4: Very good. Is anybody going to jump out of it is the question.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. So, But, hey, let's talk about these uh, these workshops that you have coming up this week. They're right around the corner, right?
4: Yeah, uh, coming up pretty quick on Thursday and Saturday, Kim.
1: Okay, and some strange things can happen with taxes once you're retired. Can you give us a, a little color on that?
4: Well, yeah, Kim, uh, most people are going to be receiving Social Security in retirement, and the taxation of your Social Security is based not only on how much your benefit is, but also on how much your other income is. So as your other income goes up, so does the taxation of your Social Security, which makes things get a little bit weird.
1: You know, even weirder (laughs) than most tax-related issues,
4: well yeah, it it could be for sure, but everybody it's it's truly bizarre math, Kim, because remember as little as none of your social security might be taxed and as much as eighty five percent of it might be taxed.
1: But it's not at an eighty five percent rate, uh right? at least not unless uh, Bernie wins the election.
4: <laughs> right, yeah, and that's that's a common uh concern that it's it's taxed at high but it's not at least not yet as you say Kim it's just that up to eighty five percent of your income from Social Security can be included as taxable income and it gets taxed at whatever rate you're at once your 1040 is all done for the year but where it gets weird is that the percentage of your Social Security that becomes taxable it rapidly increases with each dollar of other taxable and even some non-taxable income that you receive.
1: <laughs> Those are just the words that you want to hear when you're retiring. Rapidly increasing in tax.
4: Yeah, you're not kidding, uh, Kim. Now I know you know Bruce Larson mm-hmm. at our office. He's one of our advisors here and he actually wrote a book about taxes in retirement. So he'll be doing the presentations at some of the workshops. Now, this spins my head, but Bruce says that each extra dollar of income you receive in retirement can cause another $0.85 of your Social Security to be taxed. So, in effect, on that income, your marginal tax rate can be 185% of what you might expect.
1: Okay, Jason, what is a marginal tax rate?
4: Well, Kim, the simplest explanation, it's the tax rate you pay on the next dollar of income you receive. So if you're in the 22% bracket, the next dollar you received is taxed at 22% all the way up until you hit the 24% bracket. However, if that $1 of income causes another 85%, or 85 cents, of your Social Security to end up being taxed. Well, think about it. Your real effective tax rate on that dollar of income is over 40%. Oh,
1: man, this sounds like a stuff dreams are made of. For a sanders Warren ticket, that is. It also sounds like getting the skinny on this is something everyone should do. So how can people get registered for your workshops?
4: Well, Kim, again, it's either Thursday or Saturday here, this Thursday or this Saturday. We have three locations to make it as convenient as possible, Parker, Arvada, and Windsor, Colorado. Uh, You could sign up at airpresidential.com. That's A-I-R-presidential.com. Or just give us a call, 303 694-1600. 694-1600.
1: Okay, that's right. Make sure you tell them you heard about it from uh, the show and you can sign up m- at my website as well. That's KimMunson.com. Jason, thank you so much. You know, the care that you put into our conversations every morning is the same care that you bring to uh, your clients. So thanks so much. And again, go to KimMunson.com and there's a big, right, uh, you know, big spot right there that you can sign up for that. Jason, we will talk to you tomorrow
4: have a great show Kim
1: okay we're gonna to go to break when we come back Rob Nadelson has this very important piece in the epic Times that Dershowitz was correct impeachment does require criminal type conduct and so we'll talk with Rob Nadelson uh, when we uh, when we come right back
3: a reverse mortgage can be an important financial tool for individuals 62 and older it is essential to understand the process so that all of your questions are answered with over 17 years in the mortgage industry lauren levy polygon financial group has the experience to answer your questions lauren knows that each financial transaction is personal if you'd like to explore your options on a reverse mortgage or with rates down, explore options to remodel your home, buy a rental property, or move, call Lorne Levy at 303-880-8881. That's 303-880-8881 for a mortgage checkup.
2: You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Kim's website, Kimmunson.com. That's Kim, M-O-N-S-O-N, dot
1: Hey, welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website, KimMunson.com. And uh, you may have uh, taken a look at the newsletter and also our promos and thought you were going to hear Jenny Hulin and Patty Kurgan and uh, Susan Kochevar in studio with me today. But a couple of things. I mean, it's very, very snowy, and I got this email from... Uh, Rob Nadelson, that he had this piece in the Epic Times about uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz and and his claims at the Senate. And so it worked out, Rob. Uh, You were supposed to be on the show today, so welcome.
0: Hi, how are you, Kim?
1: I am good. And you are a constitutional expert, and you've written a book, The Original Constitution What It uh, Actually Said and Meant. Uh, So let's talk about this piece, though, that you have in the Epic Times. This is pretty amazing. The title is Dershowitz was correct. Impeachment does require criminal type conduct.
0: It is amazing. And one of the things about it is that um, it represents a very great change in my own opinion. Um, I wrote in my book, The Original Constitution, and I've written subsequently that the term uh, high misdemeanors, that the the, the constitutional phrase, as you know, for impeachment Mm -hmm. is, Uh, treason, um, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. But we know from the founding era that that word high, which modifies crimes, high crimes, also applies to misdemeanors. So it's high misdemeanors. Okay. Um, I I had written that high misdemeanors uh, essentially meant breach of fiduciary duty, breach of the kind of duties that people owe who uh, manage other people's affairs. Well, Dershowitz got me thinking again and um, I said, gee, you know, what is it I haven't looked at? I had looked at um, all the sources that constitutional scholars usually looked at, but in this area, I had not examined the law books of the 18th century. I said, well, gee, maybe they define high misdemeanors, because those law books have helped me out previously. After all, the Constitution is a legal document, and it was drafted mostly by lawyers. And sure enough, I find that the term high misdemeanors was very common in 18th century law, and it didn't generally mean m- breach of fiduciary duty and something much more serious. Where do you find these books, Rob? In 2005, I spent a research sabbatical at Oxford University, and I spent a lot of time in their law library and somewhat less time in their general library, and some time in the library of the middle temple which is one of the four institutions for training barristers in england and what's interesting about the middle temple it's where a number of our own founders like uh... edmund rutledge and um, and john dickinson got their own legal education and so i became very familiar with the books at that time in the interim um, a uh, uh, a publishing company started putting online a lot of 18th century sources that included many of these books. So I became familiar with the books at Oxford. Um, I photographed uh, c- critical pages of many of them, but I also found them uh, increasingly online. And since I knew, now knew what to look for, I've got this whole huge library of um, English uh, case reports, of treatises on the law, of uh, what, what are called digests, where they take bits of the law and they arrange them in alphabetical order. Um, so that kind of information, dictionaries also. And I also checked, Kim, to see which of these English law books, because they mostly are English, actually were used in America. And so naturally, uh, there were a lot of competing law dictionaries, but when I learned that the law dictionary of, of Giles Jacob was the most popular in America, well, then that's usually my first stop when I look for law dictionaries. And they they all have some really interesting things to say about high misdemeanors.
1: Okay. Well, uh, this piece, you know, we're kind of going through this step by step. But uh, first of all, I find it kind of interesting. I mean, you are an expert on the Constitution. And after all these years, for you to hear Dershowitz you know, say something that challenged you, and you're like, "I'm going to go check that out." And and you said you were skeptical, but as you checked it out, you you seem to find something that changed your mind. I I find that, first of all, intellectually honest, to uh, to make sure that co- that you're continuing to to challenge yourself on these very important issues that are facing our country right now, Rob.
0: Well, thank you. We have we have too many people out there who hold themselves out as constitutional experts, and in some cases have the credentials of constitutional experts, but their attitude is whatever I like must be mandated by the Constitution and whatever I don't like must be prohibited by the Constitution. I'm sorry, law and history is not that way. It it is simply the way things uh, are, not the way you'd necessarily like them to be. I mean, I've, I've also encountered situations where I've had to change my mind in a direction which I find politically unpleasing, that uh, I didn't didn't like what I found, but I reported it nevertheless, so we could talk about that someday. But let's talk about high misdemeanors, okay? Okay, let's do... Uh, and what is a misdemeanor? Well, in today we think of it as a lesser offense. At the time of the founding, a misdemeanor was any crime, whether it was uh, treason, the worst crime of all, or whether it was... Um, you know going too fast on your on your carriage through the through <laughs> town okay. all of those all of those were misdemeanors, and so what the law did is they categorized these crimes. all crimes are misdemeanors, but at the very top, there's treason, high treason it's called, and high, because there was a lower a petty treason, but let's just focus on high treason that was obviously disloyalty to king and country or in the United States it's defined in the constitution as giving aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States, and the penalty for that was a really heinous punishment called drawing and quartering, which I'll spare his description right now. Then uh, uh, another type of uh, misdemeanor, a little lower than that, were uh, felonies. Felonies uh, included all the things we think of today as felonies, like burglary, arson, murder, rape, what distinguished felonies in 18th-century law, though, is that they were all punishable by death. And it was death not by drawing and quartering, thank goodness, but by hanging. And this, this vocabulary, by the way, was carried over directly to the United States. I found statutes passed by Congress in the 8th, 1790s that use exactly the same vocabulary, as does the uh, article, art, Articles of Confederation. Then below felony were serious crimes— that did not merit the death penalty. Um, assault is a good example. Uh, allowing a traitor to escape. Allow, if, if you abetted his escape, uh, permitted, assisted his escape, then you were guilty of a felony. But if you simply you know, allowed him to escape and didn't do anything, then, then that was a crime, but it didn't amount to a felony. Uh, bribery is another example. Those offenses were called high misdemeanors. And they were punished by... Um, very stiff fines and jail sentences so that in, the, in uh, 1794, 1797, and 1798, Congress passed a series of laws which designated as high misdemeanors certain uh, actions that tended to interfere with American law or American foreign policy, designated them as high in- misdemeanors, and uh, provided that they were punishable by anywhere from one to five years in prison and by fines up to $5,000, which was a lot of money in mm-hmm. those days. Mm-hmm. In all my research, I could find only one non-crime that was designated um, a high misdemeanor, and that uh, essentially was medical malpractice because of a, of a danger to human life. So uh, just, just, to give you, just to let you know that this isn't just me talking— Here's, a, here's a, a sentence from the dictionary by Nicholas Bailey, a popular dictionary issued in the 1760s, so just about 10 years before the American uh, Declaration of Independence. High misdemeanor, a crime of a heinous nature next to high treason. Here's a, here's a, a definition from Chambers' Cyclopedia, a very popular, very large, detailed encyclopedia uh, issued in 1778. High crimes and misdemeanors denote offenses of heinous nature next to high treason. So we're not talking here about an improper conversation with a foreign official. We're talking here about serious crimes. Uh, Here's Blackstone, probably the—I'm sorry, no. Here's the Encyclopedia Britannica of 1778. Misdemeanor in law signifies a crime. Um, And it goes on to say every crime is a misdemeanor, but— we call the most serious ones, felonies. Um, and so you can see the pattern here that, um, that a high misdemeanor is not simply a breach of fiduciary duty or maladministration as was proposed at the Constitutional Convention. Uh, the, the word maladministration was suggested and rejected by the founders in favor of high misdemeanors. So that suggests that Alan Dershowitz was right all along. I don't think that Alan Dershowitz actually checked out all these legal sources. I think he reached the right conclusion, maybe a little bit by accident, but it is the right conclusion.
1: Okay, fascinating. Let's go to break, uh, Rob, because it looks like uh, the vote is going to occur tomorrow. Uh, At least that's what I think is going to happen. I I have a few...
0: Right, right.
1: Yeah, just, I have a so. few other questions, though. Uh, I, um, if you would, I'd like to have you compare uh, Trump's defense team to the House managers and how you think that uh, those arguments looked, because uh, I'd love to get your perspective on that. So this is Kim Munson. I'm talking with Rob Nadelson about his uh, really important piece in the Epic Times uh, and uh, really goes through that uh, Alan Dershowitz was correct, uh, impeachment does require criminal type conduct. And uh, uh, let's go to break. When we come back, we'll be right back with uh, Rob Nadelson.
3: Award winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with RE-MAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GURR Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping golden retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor, Karen Levine with RE-MAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com.
1: Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson, and uh, on the line with me is Rob Nadelson. Uh, and he is uh, has a really important piece in The Epic Times. Dershowitz was correct. Impeachment does require criminal type conduct. And just a quick note, uh, Rob, I uh, was at a meeting this weekend and somebody pulled out the Epic Times and said, this is the newspaper that people should be receiving, that it has good reporting. and the op-eds are op-eds, but they keep most of the opinion over on the op-ed page. And uh, I mean, you have been, Published in the Epic Times a
0: number of uh, on a number of different occasions, Rob. I'm one of their regular columnists. By the way, uh, for those of you who don't have access to the Epic Times, I will tell you that this morning my article was republished in Complete Colorado. Okay. And so you can just enter Complete Colorado in your in your uh, browser. Um, I also wanted to mention the implication of all these findings, Kim, and that is, of course, that the articles of impeachment are. Uh, they don't state a case. Uh, I never thought that the obstruction of Congress was a valid grounds for impeachment. I did think that the abuse of power, or as they should have called, called it, self-dealing, count the first count could be a basis for impeachment if it were uh, supported by evidence. Big if there, but uh, but now it appears that both uh, impeachment accounts uh, accounts are or articles are legally deficient because they don't state a high misdemeanor because they don't state a crime or or criminal-like behavior so uh under the circumstances uh the senate would simply be justified i think in in uh in dismissing them um as far as the epic times is concerned you know when i first picked up a copy of it um back about five years ago i thought it was pretty amateurish it was available in one of the one of the airports in montana and I wasn't terribly impressed. But over the years, they have pulled together a very good team of reporters and an increasingly good team of columnists, uh, myself accepted perhaps. <laughs> but um, uh, so when um, I was writing for The Daily Caller, and when I finally got uh, frustrated by some of the policies of The Daily Caller, I was looking for another place to go. And uh, – Investigation found that the Epic Times, while it didn't yet have as much traffic as the Daily Caller website, was surging and really ha- is becoming the conservative-leaning uh, newspaper of record. I-, I wouldn't really say that it's that's, that it's completely unbiased or completely. It t- does tend to learn, lean conservative, even on its news pages. Okay, but the reporting is is very good. I've worked with a number of the reporters; they're top-notch. And um, you will get information that you get nowhere else. So I do strongly recommend the paper. As always, I never recommend that you ever rely upon w- just one source right. for news, though. Right. I mean, I often read, uh, I often read The Guardian, which is a left-leaning paper coming out of England, in order to get a better perspective.
1: Well, and and you need to make sure that you don't have just one filter. Uh, you know, we work really, really hard to always uh, make sure that we are. Are, are correct and telling the truth but you know it's pretty clear that we have an opinion on uh, on, on the way that things yeah, should go and,
0: and there are some and while papers tend to read lean left and right there are some that do uh, at least uh, have journalistic standards and, and certainly the Epic Times does and certainly The Guardian does I increasingly wonder about the New York Times. <laughs> Or the Washington Post, though. Yeah.
1: Um, And
0: and as far as I'm concerned,
1: the Denver Post has destroyed itself. It it really has. It's really unfortunate.
0: But uh, I want to ask you— It's going to be a niche paper in the future, I think. Yeah,
1: I think you're right. And— Expensive too, and you know a couple of other places to look here in Colorado. There, there's Complete Colorado. There is uh, Colorado Politics, the Gazette. You know, yeah. they, they're also, I think, uh, working on you know, the journalistic is integrity. Excellent.
0: Colorado Politics is excellent. Uh, Complete Colorado, again, it re- leans right, but it does some really top-notch reporting. Uh, the uh, the idea of there being a purely objective newspaper that always does the right thing. If that were ever true, it's certainly true no longer. So you do have to pick and choose. Right. And and, all, uh, and always listen little... to the
1: Kim Munson show, too, because we're working hard yeah. to bring these uh, these things forward. And now now you're talking about
0: the the top notch.
1: <laughs> you got it. You got it. Hey, Rob Nadelson, a couple of things, though. Um, I read the complete transcript. I finally like, you know, I've got to read this. And uh, uh, I think that people need to understand, first of all, what... Adam Schiff said that the transcript said it's not in there. The guy was not telling the truth. And weren't there like 20 25 different people that regularly listen into these conversations between his estate. So it wasn't like like uh, Trump was just talking to, you know, to just the two of them? I mean people were listening in. He knew that. So can you address the fact that Adam Schiff, said the transcript had something in it that it didn't
0: well he's done that before right Uh, by the way it's technically not a transcript it was a summary of the conversation because it wasn't exactly word for word um however he has as i just said uh exaggerated it before the i will say that the house case was very disappointing uh to mention the epic times again i wrote an article when they first started this proceeding saying you need to follow due process standards, not just because that's fair, but also because due process standards make sure that you uh, that what your conclusions are reliable. I mean, if you have de- if you have decent cross examination, it's hard for a tissue of lies to survive. If you allow the president uh, to have his attorney in the hearing and call his own witnesses, you're going to come up, even if you ultimately decide to. To impeach, you're going to come up with a much better project, a product. Well, they didn't do that. They put it, it together in a slapdash thing. I mean, uh, Senator Murkowski made that point, I guess, yesterday. It was just uh, disgraceful, and it has been from the beginning. You mentioned on the, you mentioned the comparison between the the uh, president's lawyers and the House managers. You know, I, I'm not a journalist, like, uh, and so I. I cannot spend the time to sit listening to all these arguments. But I will point out that there were some moments where the House managers, particularly um, Nadler, fell on their face. I mean, uh, Gerald Nadler is a guy who's never done anything but serve in politics. He has no business trying to prosecute a case, any case, much less a case as serious as an impeachment. And one thing you learn very early on in litigation is you don't insult the judge and the jury. Well, he did that twice. By saying that they were on trial and engaged in a cover-up, I mean, for crying out loud, um, this is this is like amateur hour, and so uh, I think the house managers did suffer from uh, the fact that they were really not professionals at what they were doing, where people like uh, Dershowitz and Sekolo clearly are. Well, and, and t- certainly, well- and, and, and and certainly star.
1: Well, and to that point, apparently Jason Crow, uh, and, and I think he's supposed to be, an, wasn't he an attorney in, uh, in, the, in the military? I was thinking he was. Anyway, you know, he's one of the House managers. He's, um, you know, the representative from uh, CD6 here in Colorado. And uh, so, again, one of those that's supposed to be bringing the case against uh, Donald Trump. And apparently... He is quoting uh, Dumbledore, talking about Dumbledore from Harry Potter. And I'm when I heard that, I'm like, honestly, really? We, we're trying to impeach a, a president, and one of the accusers is talking about Dumbledore from uh, Harry Potter? I mean, I, I thought that was kind of wild, Rob. I don't know if you were aware of that or not.
0: Well, it indicates that the Democrats' case was built on ledger domain and magic, right? <laughs> It wasn't a real. It wasn't a real world case. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't remember every moment of Bill Clinton's impeachment hearings, but my recollection is that Bill Clinton hired top talent. I mean, uh, Bob Bennett, for example, was, was one of his lawyers, one of the top lawyers in um, in Washington D.C., and you just did not see that level of professionalism among the impeachment case, in the impeachment case here. And I think the reason for that was that they knew this was doomed. They were catering to their party's uh, crazies. Um, They wanted to create a public relations splash. They knew the media would go along, and an evidence of that is the fact that as soon as the Republicans stood up to put on their case, the media distracted and started talking about uh, uh, Bolton's book instead so that people wouldn't pay attention to the Republican case. Um, And so they figured that that was a way to proceed, but I I don't think it's worked.
1: Okay, and one other thing, uh, because I think everyday people that are kind of watching this, they're hearing that, oh my gosh, the Senate did not allow any witnesses. But uh, over in the House is where the case was supposed to be made. And my understanding is the Democrats called 17 witnesses and Trump was able to call one. Uh, And so, people need to understand that that was not a real fair due process, if you will, Rob Nadelson. And we have about a minute left.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, it's not the Senate's job to do the House's work for it. But actually, the Senate went beyond what it should have, in my view. The Senate uh, amended uh, Mitch McConnell's original original uh, resolution to provide that all the material that came from the House. Uh, was automatically admitted into evidence unless specifically uh, objected to. I think that was wrong to do that because much, much of that material was pure her- hearsay. In fact, from what I gather, most of the critical facts were, were just hearsay. So I would have voted against that amendment. My point is that not only did the Senate not suppress evidence, the Senate actually went farther than it should have gone in admitting evidence that was inherently unreliable and, un- and inadmissible. Well, those
1: are really important points, and uh, uh, so it's just really been a lot of uh, political theater, but I love what you do, Rob Nadelson, this piece in the Epic Times regarding Dershowitz and then your intellectual integrity to go out and really check that out. I so appreciate it. So thanks so much for being with me this morning.
0: Thank you, and again, Epic Times or Complete Colorado.
1: Okay, Rob Nadelson, you have a great day. Bye bye. Okay. And Calvin Coolidge is our quote for today. He says, Don't expect to build up the weak by pulling down the strong. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America.
0: And I don't want no one to cry, but tell them.
1: and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker, commentators, hosts, their guests, and callers. They are not necessarily the views and opinions of Crawford Broadcasting or KLZ Management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country Station.
0: KLZ AM HD Denver. The Source AM and FM. AM 560 and 100.7 FM. 560thesource.com.